You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. On any given day, we have dozens of interactions and conversations. Conversations with strangers, close friends, in coffee shops, at work, over a meal, or on the phone. Some conversations are quick and light. Others are long and deep. Conversations matter. They hold the potential to change our whole day, or in some cases, our whole lives. As we read about the life of Jesus from the words of his close friend John, we see that Jesus was constantly engaging in intentional, crucial, and life-changing conversations. These conversations that Jesus had centuries ago can still impact us today. If this is your first time worshiping with us, welcome to the family. We like to say that we're one big family here at Castle Hills Christian Church. Want to welcome those who are watching in San Antonio and the surrounding areas, those who are watching around the state. Want to welcome those who are out at our outdoor service on the patio. Uh, We see you. We just want you to know that you are loved. And again, I'm just appreciative that we can all come together and worship. There are certain phrases or words that we hear that just make us feel a little uncomfortable. Words such as root canal or IRS audit. I want you to think right now, what are some of those words that kind of make you cringe when you hear them? What are some of those phrases that you hear that make you cringe when you hear them? And if you're watching online, go ahead and comment right now. We, we want to hear some of those words that make you cringe. If you're at our, at our outdoor service, go ahead and shout out some of those words that you just don't like hearing, those words that make you feel uncomfortable. Words such as cancer or words such as braces. Or one of my friends told me, he said, when I hear the word middle school, that just makes me feel uncomfortable. It reminded him of all of those uncomfortable years of just kind of, uh, you had big feet and, and you're clumsy and you had all of these hormones going on. Uh, other words that maybe we don't like to hear, traffic jam. Or one of my friends said, when he hears the dentist say, oops, when he's working on his mouth. I mean, no one wants to hear that phrase. There's lots of words and phrases that make us feel uncomfortable, but one of them is, let's talk. Uh, let's talk. I, 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 need, I need to tell you something. Uh, let's have a DTR. Let's define the relationship. And some of you are like, oh, I hate those conversations. Uh, honey, let's talk. And you're like, oh, some of, some of you are like, oh, I, I really don't like uh, having those conversations like that. Well, today we are starting a new sermon series called Conversations with Jesus. And we're going to see in this series that words are important. Conversations are important. I read a study that was done in Britain that says that we have an average of 27 conversations a day that lasts about 10 minutes. Now, some of these conversations are on the phone, some of them are in person, some of them are over lunch, some of them are with friends, coworkers, uh, some of them are with family members. 
We have all of these conversations and some of them are light and some of them are heavy. But we have to realize that there, are, there is power in our words. There's power in our words that conversations matter. That they hold the potential to change a whole day and in some cases a whole life. And then in the, this series, we're going to explore the conversations that Jesus had. And the conversations that Jesus had were intentional, and many times they were life-changing. And I hope over the course of this series that we too will be intentional with the conversations that we have. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Now, before uh, we talk about this conversation, I want, to, want you to remember that John chapter 3, one of the most famous verses in the Bible is found there, John 3.16. And many times we forget that, the, that before we get to this famous verse, that this conversation led up to it. And so just kind of keep that in mind. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 3, starting at verse 1, it says, Now there was a, um, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, what is a Pharisee? A Pharisee was an expert in the law. And what I mean by the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, they would have had those memorized, and they would have had much, if not all, of the Old Testament memorized period. And so they especially knew the first five books of the law. There was about 6,000 Pharisees, and so Nicodemus was one of these. And, and one of the things that probably strikes out, or that may stick out to you about the Pharisees is that many times they were opponents of Jesus and the early Christians. Now, when we talk about the Pharisees, in many ways, they were the worst people in the world. They were cold and legalistic, but at the same time, they were the best people in the whole country because they were holy men that tried to keep the law. They pursued purity with a passion and a zeal. They wanted nothing more than to please God with their whole life. And they were sincere, but misguided. Now, Nicodemus... He was one of these Pharisees, but he was also part of the Sanhedrin. Now, who was the Sanhedrin? Well, what, what does this mean to be a part of the Sanhedrin? Well, the Sanhedrin was the supreme court of ancient Israel made up of 70 men and the high priest. The Sanhedrin was kind of like the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, that, uh, that they, they were the final authority on decisions that affected religious and the political life of all Jews. In the New Testament, the Sanhedrin is best known for their part in, the, part in the series of mock trials that resulted in the crucifixion of Jesus. So if you looked at Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, he was part of the Sanhedrin, he would have been wealthy, he was well-respected, he was a man that people looked at and said, man, that's a godly man. It seemed like he had it all together. But he comes to Jesus and, and I think he realizes maybe something's missing in his life. He's got some questions. And so he ends up having this conversation with Jesus. And, and verse 2, it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice Nicodemus comes to him at night. Why does he come to, with him at night? We're not completely sure. We do know that he could have been working in the day and at night is, uh, would, be, would have been the time that he would have tended to study the law. But I also wonder if he didn't come at night because it was a risky move to talk to Jesus. 
Because we already know that some of the Pharisees, they're not real fond of this Jesus guy. They don't know what to think of him. And, and quickly we find out as you continue to read the, the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you'll see that the Pharisees were not fans of Jesus whatsoever. So we see that Nicodemus comes to, to Jesus at night and, and it says in the scripture, it says, we, we know that you're a man of God. Well, who's the we? Was it other Pharisees? Was it the Sanhedrin? Was it Nicodemus's friends? We don't know. I would suspect that there are some Pharisees that always suspect that there's something different about Jesus, that, that he is a man of God, and they're trying to figure out exactly uh, how this connects with everything. So why did Nicodemus meet with Jesus? There's probably several reasons, but one of the reasons that we see is the text tells us because of the signs. Now, John uses the word signs and not miracles, and, and we'll get into this in another sermon series uh, later on, especially during the summer. But what we're going to see is that Jesus has already performed one of these signs by turning water into wine at a marriage a feast, and this does this incredible uh, sign. And then we're also going to see that Jesus uh, cleanses the temple. And again, Nicodemus is a man that knows the Old Testament. He knows the law. He knows what Scripture says. And so he sees this and he, he thinks, man, uh, there's something more to this guy. There, there's more to this. I mean, in fact, Jesus said uh, when he came to the temple, he said, my, this is my father's house. And so Nicodemus has seen the signs, or he has seen or heard about the signs, and he has heard about Jesus cleansing the temple, and he's thinking, well, could Jesus be the Messiah? Well, what's going on with this guy? And maybe Nicodemus is missing something in his life. He, he may seem like he has it all together. He may be a Pharisee, he, he's, or, he, or he is a Pharisee. He's part of the Sanhedrin. Uh, he's wealthy. He's got everything you could dream of. But there was something missing in his life. And he comes to Jesus at night, and he begins to, to ask him some questions. He begins to have this conversation. And so in verse 3, it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, basically, you can trust this. You can trust what I'm saying. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, Nicodemus, that's pretty practical for him. Like, I don't understand how this can happen. Well, what's it mean to be born again? Or actually, one of the translations to, or in the Greek, it'd be born from above. Being born again uh, comes from outside of ourself. It comes from God. It's not about what you do. Being born again is not about what you do, but it's about what God does. And so Jesus says, you need to be born again to see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus would have also kind of would have been going through his mind is that reborn process. Jewish writers spoke of Gentiles needing to be newborns in the faith but wouldn't have considered that a Jewish person would have needed to be reborn in the faith because um, they were already Jews. I mean, th they were good. I mean, th this would have been really hard for him to process. So Nicodemus struggles with this imagery like, Jesus, I literally, I mean, how, how can this happen? And, and he doesn't get that Jesus is actually talking about something that's happening spiritually. If we continue reading, it says, Jesus answered truly, truly again. Uh, I, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that would be baptism, 
And the Spirit, that's talking about God's Spirit working. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it, will, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, Gentile converts were baptized into water. Gentiles were converted to Judaism, and they were baptized in order to remove the impurities of their Gentileness. And they were seen as unclean. And so someone was born of water were converts through the conversion process. And, and so Jesus says, you need to be born of water. Baptism, which uh, again, we could talk a whole lot about baptism. We see it especially uh, in the book of Acts. And we see that Jesus was baptized himself. But we also see that Nicodemus, when he sees being born of water and spirit, again, he knows the Old Testament scripture that Jesus may be referring to Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God speaks of one day coming and manifesting himself uh, as his great holiness in his people. He says, I will come and I will cleanse you with water. I will wash your filthiness from you. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will put my spirit within you. And so when Nicodemus hears these words, uh, it can't help but be rattling around in his mind. Oh, there's something more to Jesus. You fast forward to Ezekiel chapter 37, and, and we see this vision of dry bones. God takes Ezekiel out to this valley that's full of dry bones, decaying bones. And God asks the prophets, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responds, only you know that. And so God orders Ezekiel to prophesy, to preach to these bones. And next thing you know, these bones start coming together. And they, they hear the word of the Lord and they start coming together. And you have these, this bo these bodies, these bones, but there was a problem. They, they, they didn't have breath. And so next thing you know, Ezekiel says, Come from the four corners of the earth, O breathe, breathe on these things that they may be alive. God told Ezekiel to prophesy, to, to breathe on these bones. And next thing you know, and they, this great army comes together. All these bones, all these, these bodies come together. And, and God says, That day is to come that he will breathe his spirit upon his people and they will come alive. Now, you might recognize that this passage is from a popular song that we sing, Rattle. But, he, but when, when Nicodemus hears this, he, he was like, oh man, uh, could this be God coming to earth? Could this be the Messiah? Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you can be reborn. You can be transformed. This is an invitation to us as well. He invites us to have a relationship with him. It's not about all the good things that we do. It's about what he can do in our life by transforming our lives. If we continue reading in verse 9, it says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Again, Nicodemus is struggling, processing all of this. Jesus answered, you are the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say, say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, you do not believe. How can you believe if you, 
if I tell you heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus is educated. He's a teacher. He knows the law, but he's struggling processing everything that Jesus is saying. And Jesus says, I'm an eyewitness to heaven. And in Jewish law, only an eyewitness has credibility to prove a point. And so in this case, Jesus is able to speak about things of heaven since he has descended from heaven to earth. Remember John's purpose for this book? If you go to John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. It is to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And when you believe this, that you will have life. And so we see that Jesus is proving to him, hey, I descended from heaven. I am the Messiah. Now, what's he talking about when, we, when he's talking about this whole serpent thing in the wilderness? Uh, what, what's the serpent being talked about, being lifted up and all, all of this? Well, if you go to, to the Old Testament and you look at Numbers chapter 20, the people of God are in the wilderness. They disobey and there's some fiery serpents that come into their midst. And they beg Moses to, to pray to God for help. And God tells Moses to take a bronze serpent to lift it up on a pole. And whoever looks at the serpent will live. So Jesus is, is essentially saying to Nicodemus, whoever looks at the uplifted Christ, whoever looks at to, to him on the cross, that he will give life. And in the process, you will be reborn, that you'll be new. And so Nicodemus has all of this to process. He has this transforming conversation. But then the conversation basically stops right there and and we don't know what happened to Nicodemus, or do we? We actually do, because if you fast forward to, to John chapter 7, we see that Nicodemus stands up for Jesus when some authorities wanted to arrest him. And so instead of uh, meeting with Jesus in the night, we actually see him uh, taking a stand for Jesus. And then if you fast forward a little bit more to Good Friday, we see that the day that Jesus died, that he helps Joseph of Arimathea. He takes, his, takes the body of Jesus off the cross. He, he risked everything to do this. And, and we see that his life was transformed. We see his life was changed. We see that, that all from a conversation that he had with Jesus, that it changed his life forever. You know, our vision at Castle Hills Christian Church is change lives through Christ. And Jesus doesn't just want a small part of our life. He didn't just want a sliver of our life. He didn't just want us to worship here on Sunday and then we can go and do whatever we want. He wants us to be fully committed to him. He didn't want us just to be a fan of him where we cheer for him. We say, yay, Jesus. But he wants us to submit every aspect of our life to him. And when we do that, when we submit our life to him, when we say, God, would you just lead my life? I give all of my life to you. And we're going to see a change in us as roommates, as husbands, as fathers, as wives, as mothers, as workers in whatever field that you work in, as a student. When we let God lead our life, when we let him transform us, guess what? Amazing things 
take place. You know, the way that we live reveals who leads your life. The way that we live reveals how we lead our life. If you live in a, such a way that life is all about you, guess what? People will notice. And you, you, you'll be able to see that, that yourself has become a God. If, you desire, uh, if, if your desire and action is all about money, that will be revealed as well. Your money is your God. See, fruit, see, the fruit reveals the root. The fruit reveals the root. And when we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, when we have the fruits of the Spirit that's found in Galatians chapter 5, that reveals that the Spirit of God is working in our life. And there are things that, that happen in my life that I'm like, you know what, that's God's Spirit. Because there's no way that I normally have patience in that way. I don't always have patience uh, in a traffic jam. I don't always have patience at the store. Uh, but there's times when, when I submit to God and say, God, you work in my life. He gives me an abundance of patience. He gives me an abundance of peace. He gives me an abundance of joy. He gives me abundance uh, of wisdom. So I leave you with these questions. Are you ready to be reborn? Are you ready to have a relationship with Christ? Are you ready to surrender every area of your life to Christ? What, and then secondly, what does your fruit reveal about your root? And some of you, you have some rotten fruit, and some of you need to do some self-examination. And you need to confess, you need to repent, and you need to say, God, my fruit hasn't been very, uh, isn't very good right now. And I need to give some areas over to you. And then lastly, who's someone that you can have a life-changing conversation with this week? Pray that God would give you an opportunity. Pray that God would open up a door to share your faith, to let God's Spirit guide you. 